please help spread the message of frequency-specific microcurrent by clicking on the like button. You can subscribe to us on YouTube or any podcast app. If you have any questions, please leave them in the comments. You can find the podcast transcription at frequencyspecific.com, as well as more information about frequency-specific microcurrent. There you are. I'm here. Hi. 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 Yay, it's Wednesday. It is. It's my favorite day. I don't, I can't, whatever, however long it's been, we've 100 and whatever episodes, a year and a half. I am still as excited Wednesday morning today as I was like 100 episodes ago. How is that? How does that happen? I'm not sure. I don't know how we haven't run out of things to talk about yet. It's like that, what did Kevin just say? Kevin said, oh good, I was afraid she was tired of it. <laughs> oh my gosh, never. It's just so funny because... It's like when you're newly dating somebody and you're just, you're excited and there's always stuff to talk about. And then after a while you get into that zone where you're comfortable, but like, we're, I feel like we're still in like the newly dating, like this is still exciting. That's because I only see you once a week. Maybe right. that, is that the key? <laughs> that could be I, it. Do you have a quote to start before I derail the train? I do. I have an, an idea, but we always circumvent everything back. So I'm not sure if this is paraphrased or not. This is a Hippocrates quote. It's not new. However, it just feels very fitting for, for this, apropos for this past 10 days. Before you heal someone, ask him if he's willing to give up the things that make him sick. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then the challenge becomes when they arrive and they've already given up all the things that they think are making them sick. <clears throat> and then because I literally had patients on both ends of this spectrum one who is willing to give up nothing and one who has done everything asked of them and nobody can figure this out yeah and it, when they've already done the giving up stuff they repair their emotional relationships they eliminate gluten milk all the common allergens, they go for walks, they have good sleep hygiene, <clears throat> they've done all that. And that's my favorite part. Because then you can say with a straight face, you've already done all the hard work. All I have to do is get you out of pain. And they look at you like one of those dogs looking at the television, huh? And then you run 40 and 10 subacute facets, supine cervical practicum, concussion in Vegas, and it's done. And they went, is it going to last? I'll see you in two days and we'll find out. Probably not the first time, but it's never going to be as bad as it was when you walked in the door. Right. Okay. And you already did what it took to create the stable state that makes my job that much easier. I'm just going to interrupt before you go any further, because we have these starting points and everybody comes in at a different starting point, regardless if it's a new patient or somebody you've been seeing for 10 years, you never really know who's walking in the door when you see them. So sometimes the challenge is to bring down the emotional component before you can even lay hands on somebody my athletes, my CEOs, they come in and it's just like, get in your body. Like what 
I'll, I'm going to borrow that one from you. I've sold a lot of things from you. And they're just like, let's just get you inside yourself. And then we can have a conversation of where you're at right now, because so many people I've noticed are never really present. They're way ahead in the future or they're way in the past. And there's another phrase that you can borrow. Ready? Yes. You have to have a special credit card to borrow that kind of trouble (laughs) from the future because they're where they are now. They're scared, reasonable. And then sometimes they just tumble forward into a dystopian, disastrous, what if future. Yes. And it's honestly. that. Were you in the clinic this week? Because Monday and Tuesday, that is exactly what I was dealing with. This is never going to get better. I'm never going to feel the same. And it was just projection after projection. And I had to, thank goodness they were athletes. So I could use my long training <laughs> run analogy. I said, I never walk out the door thinking how far 10 or 15 miles is. I'm just going mile by mile. And right now, today, we are going hour by hour. And then we're going to check in tomorrow. That is it. 24 hour increments. Yep. And sometimes even shorter than that. Sure. (laughs) But it's so hard though. And I get it. I haven't had chronic pain. So I don't know. Oh, I have, which makes it easier. I can say with a completely straight face, nerve pain absolutely sucks. And they go, what? Oh, yeah. I've never had knock on wood. Well, yeah, I have actually. I have been a 40 and 10 and an 81 and 10 patient, but not for years because I knew what it was as soon as it hit and I knew what to do. I guess I should clarify chronic pain. Yeah. So one is just an average new patient I saw yesterday sent by a friend. Yeah. And she says they've diagnosed me with fibromyalgia and she circles all the points and that she complains about anxiety. Well, that makes sense. And not dizziness. And <clears throat> so I have my little algometer and I tested the tender point. She had all 18 tender to two and two to four pounds per square inch pressure. And the objective diagnosis for fibromyalgia that indicated central sensitization was 11 out of 18 tendered to less than four pounds per square inch pressure. She had all 18. And okay, so in my head, well, it's like she's just a 40 and 10, but she'd had endometriosis. They told her she had myometriosis where the endometrium had grown into her uterus. So they did a hysterectomy. She still has wicked abdominal pain and low back pain as a result of that. So she said, yeah, I think they said I might have endometriosis. Okay. But I can't touch her belly until I get her body pain down and the central sensitization down. So she's got four appointments. So now she's 71 or 73. And I did her patellar reflexes and they're plus three by the time you're 65 your patellar reflex should be a plus one and you should not have an achilles reflex 
Can you explain the plus just for the lay people? Yeah. So reflexes are graded. Plus two is when they hit, let's say, your knee with the little hammer and your foot goes out about that far. Plus one, it goes. So it's just less than, it's just a little twitch. It's not a regular twitch. And a plus three is, wow, it goes out. Plus three with crossing, it goes, the one you just hit goes way out. And the other one does that too at the same time. Plus four is it goes out and it doesn't stop. It just keeps bopping. Right. So she had hyperactive reflexes. And the one thing I remember from geriatrics was that at the age of 65, you should not have an Achilles reflex at all. If you have one, that's abnormal. She's 73. She has an Achilles reflex and she has a plus three hyperactive patellar reflex, which means something's not right in her neck. Hmm. No auto accidents, but she spent 10 years as a labor and delivery nurse, moving beds, lifting 300 pound women onto the bed from the gurney to the delivery table. Mm -hmm. So she had a lot of lifting trauma, which will cause a disbulge. No one has done her reflexes ever. She's a Kaiser patient. No one has done a sensory exam. No one has done an x-ray, much less an MRI of her neck. And then she said, oh, and I have so much trouble reading. I used to love to read and now I can't read. I'm anxious all the time. I'm this, I'm that. I'm going, so as part of the physical exam, I do the vestibular screen, put a tuning fork in the middle of her forehead. I only, I hear it in this ear. Don't hear it in both. No, just this ear. Air condition, aversive on the, ow, what was that? Aversive on the left, which means that, and she has tinnitus. Normal on this side. And then horizontal fields of gaze. She's super saccadic out and in, in both eyes. Wow. Are you sure you've never had an auto accident? No, ever had a head injury? Oh, yeah. Two years ago, I slipped on the ice and fell backwards and hit the back of my head on the ice. Now that you mention it, that is when I stopped being able to read. She had cataract things that she blamed. Anyway, so she's a 40 and 10 patient. So I... Inflammation in the spinal cord, she has full body pain, and I need to be able to touch her, can't touch her. And her pain level is a six. So run that, ran concussion in Vegas, and then I set up a separate machine hooked up from her neck to her abdomen, first running 40 and 44 quiet the inner ear because just testing fields of gaze put her into an anxiety attack and made her nauseous. She sobbed through the first 20, 30 minutes, especially as the 
endorphins went up, she started crying more. Mm -hmm. I just need to quiet down. So quiet the midbrain, quiet the inner ear. And then she started shivering as her endorphins went up. So I ran quiet the sympathetics to turn down the shivering. So at the end of about 75, 80 minutes, her pain level's gone. Somebody told her that the fact that she couldn't move her hands, she had arthritis. She had one knuckle that was a little bit big. She had pain here in her thumb. And all of the practitioners that are listening, if you have pain in your thumb, what is it? C6. So I treated her for nerve pain. And then because she still had trouble making a fist, before we finished, I took the washcloth off of her abdomen and put it on her chest. And I ran quiet the nerves and then hardening in the joint capsule. 217 in the joint capsule and the periosteum and had her grab the washcloth right hand make little scrunchy things left hand make little scrunchy things oh that's easier but ooh, this hurts now for the practitioners listening this is bending her fingers the nerves she was hypersensitive in her whole hand So the nerves run clear down to the end of your fingers. If you bend your finger, what are you doing to the nerves? You're stretching them, right? So the last touch, the sprinkles on the top of the cupcake were scarring in the nerves. Squish the washcloth. I can move my hands. Mm -hmm. It doesn't hurt to stand up. Mm -hmm. And this is see for glasses. And it's really easy for me to demonstrate because when I have my glasses off, I have many ears in my right ear. So if I look straight into the camera, you'll see that my left eye goes straight ahead and my right eye bends inward about five, seven degrees. I put my glasses on and my right eye gets straight. And I did that for her and she said, Really? Yeah. The prisms will change the way the light hits your eyes and you're going to be able to read again. Okay. And then you tell them it's going to last any place between two hours and two weeks. No way to tell. When it comes back, It's not going to be any worse, but you're going to mind it more because it was gone. And if it worked this time, there will never be a time when it doesn't work. Or if it worked this time, it will always work. And it's okay if you don't believe me. And that was it. It was just like the classic 40 and 10 patient, fibromyalgia patient with vagus nerve dysfunction, central sensitization, and an inner ear injury all thrown in the mix. And it's all in the core. Yeah, I was just going to say, and this is like the basic stuff. 
which is crazy because it sounds very advanced, but this is a slam dunk for us. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who are core students who found the core painful, this is why the core is five days. I don't know how to send you home with nothing to give this patient. And you were treating the straight up 40 and 10 fibromyalgia patient forever, but adding in the vestibular screen, adding in the vagus nerve, that's what closes the case on this so much faster because you would get so much improvement with just 40 and 10, but then there's other little pieces. But she'd still be having an anxiety attack because we did fields of gaze and she's still super centrally sensitized. So I did 40 and 89 quiet the midbrain by itself for 20 minutes. And you know, then I did the inner ear. It's funny. I was redoing slides last week and I feel very Carol-esque redoing slides because it means the course has evolved to the point where you have to change things. And I, I like that change is good, right? There's that saying, what's the four letter word that starts with an S? in therapy same oh (laughs) it's not the swear word but you never want to hear same right you never want to hear no change like I'll take oh you make worse wait yeah absolutely I'll take that a hundred times over no change so I was doing redoing the motor patterning stuff because it started with the whole wipe and load started at 4084, 4092, it doesn't work without 4089. I have so tried to take shortcuts. It doesn't work. The, the midbrain has to be on board with the new changes. You have to have a patient that feels safe to move. And it's non-negotiable. So if you there's one slide in the advanced that says follow the spark. Mm-hmm. And you go peripheral nerve, spinal cord, medulla, the little branch to the cerebellum, but then everything ascending and descending from everywhere, sensory cortex, visual cortex, sensory motor cortex, everything from everywhere goes through the hippocampus, through the midbrain, through the limbic system, before it gets down to the body or up to the rest of the brain, everywhere. And the limbic system does not negotiate and it never forgets. And it doesn't negotiate. And then I love your phrase. It just needs to take a nap. It just, we just need to give it a little rescue remedy, a little chamomile, and it's smell some lavender. It's going to be fine. It's- no, really it is 40 and 89. And after about 10 or 15, depending on how long, how young they were when they were abused, how much trauma they had, what's happened between then and now, either around this injury or just in their life. And you run 40 and 89 for as long as you need to. And in this case, we also ran TTH. <clears throat> tendency to have bad stuff happen. And I, she had a belief system that made TTH make sense. Gotcha. It was, oh, 
And at the end of 70 or 90 minutes, she's all fine. I'll see you Thursday. And it was easy. That's great that you can say that. It's weird that we can say that. Yeah. It's totally weird. I have an an even weirder one, but I'll say that. Yeah. I want to spin backwards a little bit with circling back to my quote about, and and you've always said this too, like you can't want it more than the patient. And I don't tech like really live in that world because of the athletes, they are chomping at the bit to get better. So I absolutely, sometimes you're the cheerleader and sometimes your job is to pull back on the reins because you still need to be respectful of healing. We always want to make sure healing is going in the right direction, but it's hard when somebody is in an eight out of 10 in pain, and then you bring it down to a one and they want to absolutely do everything. And I had this conversation with this patient who had so much anxiety around the improvement because they're like, it feels better. I have to go, I have to go clean my house and I have to do this and I have to wash my car and I have to take the dog for a walk. And I'm just like, no, no. no. And so no. I go, I get it. You want to take advantage of the fact that you're not in pain, but this is not a party trick. I have the same conversation that you say. Since we made such, and I'll use different verbiage, I'll say we made a good dent in the pain today. I'm really confident if we brought the pain down that much after one treatment, we're going to continue to have results. But doing too much too soon is going to undo everything. And I always warn people, I'm a teacher. So you're going to find out why you have this and what it means and what we're going to do to fix it. So somebody comes in with hand and arm pain and 40 and 10, and you press along the anterior, you do the reflexes, they're wonky, I think is the technical medical term. And they don't have a cervical MRI, but you press along there and you find the five, six and the six, seven disc bulge. And their pain's a one, yay, now I can go, it's no, no. You have a sprained ankle in your neck in order to keep this and that gone. We have to let this disc heal. Amazing concept. Nobody ever talked to them about why they had hand and body pain. And here's the thing with the sprained ankle in your neck. So how else would you describe a disc bulge to somebody? It's not a herniation. Yeah. Lubinsky's negative. She still has upper reflexes. It's not surgical. Mm-hmm. It's just pain. Well, just pain. Anyway, here's how you're going to do that. When you lift something up, it pushes down on that disc. And if you think of the disc as a jelly donut with the annulus as the donut and the jelly being the biologic equivalent of battery acid. If you lift things, it's going to squish the jelly back out towards the little hole in the donut that's making your hands and your body hurt. Okay. So that means you don't lift anything more 
that weighs more than a gallon of milk. And when you lift a gallon of milk, you keep your elbow at your side, you get close to it, you pick it up, you bring it to your chest, you take it to the counter, you put it down all with your elbow. But I have to lift, no, I have the magic word. It's not that you can't, because people don't want to can't. Mm -hmm. It's not that you can't. It's that you're not allowed. I am not allowed to mop the floor, wash the windows, vacuum the rug. Bad idea. I am not allowed to lift my two-year-old. I cannot bend over and do mommy. I can squat down, have him come to your chest, put your arms around him, keep your neck straight, stand up. Take him someplace, sit him on a chair. You are not allowed to bend. You're not allowed. And it's like any sprained ankle. If we treat it twice a week for four to six weeks, and if you behave yourself, if we don't break it again, sprained ankles heal in six weeks. It's not that long. And the magic phrase to anyone who cares is, I'm not allowed. Ah, so you give them power. You put them in a comfort zone that you create by giving them details about what's wrong, what's causing what, how do they keep from breaking it again. So the patient that is allergic or sensitive to gluten and has joint pain or IBS or even Crohn's, but IBS and won't stop eating wheat. It's here's the thing. It's hard to bail out a boat while somebody's still shooting holes in the bottom of it. So you get to pick. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that kind of goes with what our, our theme is. And I think for patients, this isn't I'm not trying to blame anybody for not wanting to be better, but yeah. there are definite parts of the onion that all of us are reluctant to change. Again, going back to the athletes that are listening, they're indoctrined with the, how bad do you want it? And they're willing to, we talk about Joel all the time, our Olympic swimmer, who when you realized it was gluten, that was, there were a lot of things that you helped me figure out with Joel, because I was still very, it's the muscle back then. Uh, but they've also been taught more pain is more gain. Absolutely. So this is what you mean, like, how bad do you want it? It's just they grind through it. And to borrow a phrase from one of my patients, who's a psychologist, he talks about blowing through stop signs. And that's exactly what it is. They're so fixated on getting to this end point of and who knows what that end point is. They're just in for good reasons are willing to make changes. But again, they're also willing to ignore things because they just think it's part of the equation and it's not necessarily just for athletes, right? There's a lot of patients that are just like, Oh, I thought it was just part of that. I just thought it was part of this. No. When nobody's ever talked to them. No. When you look at the core, 50% of it, if you look at the slides, there's 1,076 slides in the core, fully four or 500 of them are diagnosis or history. 
And sometimes it's just nobody ever told them that this caused that. Right. Wait, you mean lifting my two-year-old and mopping the floor and vacuuming? Yeah, my arms always hurt more after I vacuum, but nobody ever told me why. Okay. And there was a thing that you said that fell out of my brain. They blew through stop signs. It can be a good thing or a bad thing because they're just so used to the no pain, no gain. Yeah. It was funny. I had a total 40 and 89, almost an objective measure for somebody who had a big history of shoulder trauma, dislocations, tears, and has the quintessential anterior bicipital pain. Right. And he's so confused that I'm treating subscap. And, and they're just like, I don't get it because it doesn't hurt there until your thumb is in there. I'm like, exactly. Because when we hurt our shoulder and I'm explaining, we bring everything in, things adaptively shorten and scar. I'm explaining scapular humeral rhythm that the humerus cannot physically abduct without the scapula rotating. I swear it probably started with the subscap to begin with. Yes. And this is exactly how you do that. You get into my brain and then you say it about 30 seconds before I'm about to say it. It's how we roll. Has there ever been a time when that didn't happen? No. And it's so cool. We treat people together and you can do that. But anyways, yes, to your point, when we're again, talking about the shoulder, the um, asymmetries that tend to happen because of the subscap being adhered first, which is why the shoulder got so injured or dislocated or tore because that scapula couldn't move to begin with. Exactly. So as we're taking apart the scar tissue, easy peasy, lemon squeezy, now we're in the part where we're doing the exercise re-education there's almost like atrophy on that shoulder because they are so afraid to move it. And you can see when that patient is out of pain and they're going through the range and their eyes get really wide and they stop where they used to stop and they pause. And it's so funny. So as a practitioner, I'm like saying, can you go a bit further now? I'm like, oh yeah, I can. Because they're just so used to stopping where they were safe to stop. They would stop a few degrees before the pain would start. Yeah. So it's really interesting to see it in real time. And then running 40 and 80, let's try it again, run 40 and 89. And they're just like, no hesitation. Exactly. It's amazing. How fast it works is just mind boggling. It is. So this is from the advanced. So for those of you that haven't done the advanced yet, I'm really sorry, but this was fascinating. And it talks to mileage. So seven, eight years ago, when I was, I spent a couple of days at Cleveland Clinic, we had a girl who had a pons stroke. Now, when you look up the pons, I still have to look up in my neurology book and see what it says. But she had a pons stroke. Now, the pons is where the facial nerve and the trigeminal nerve come from, right? That's from the pons. And this girl and her pons stroke, her hands were like this, 
and she was completely spastic, like rigid. Okay. And I ran 81 and the ponds, increased secretions in the ponds. Her hand opened up. The shoulders relaxed. The PT was able to gently range her shoulders, basically clear down to her lats. Mm -hmm. They were able to range of motion. Okay, so that's the mileage part. I did that one time. And we know that the trigeminal nerve comes out of the pods. Those are the two data points. The patient came in on Monday. His history was, I got COVID vaccine and my left arm. And immediately after the vaccine, the side of my face went numb. Okay. Everybody who's been to the advanced, what does the trigeminal nerve do? It's sensation to this part of your face. In his case, it was only the lower two branches. Okay, that means there might be something going on in the spinal cord. But over the next three to six months, his body and his hands got stiffer and stiffer. And he says when he wakes up in the morning, he looks like the girl at Cleveland Clinic. His hands are like this. His arms are like this. And when he walks in, he's 61, very athletic, no medication, no medical issues, no nothing. The healthiest adult human I know. And he walks. There's pain in his hips, his knees, his shoulders, his elbows. The muscle tone is normal. So when you squeeze his quads and his adductors, I was looking for 81 and 10, increased descending inhibition. Muscle tone is all normal. Pain in his right hip, big complaint. Range of motion in the right hip, external rotation, internal rotation, flexion, completely perfect. There's nothing wrong with the joint. Palpation, push as hard as I can. Nothing wrong with the bursa. And he walks like he's about 90. Okay, we have frequencies for those six viruses. We have frequencies for the toxins, the disinfectants that they use in the two vaccines that he got, the polyethylene glycol, a frequency for toxicity. Left side of his face, right side of his body. And that's, never mind, but that makes sense because of where those fibers cross in the brainstem. So I ran the frequencies for the virus and the toxins in the ponds. And it worked. Yeah. It used to be an investigational frequency until the stroke girl. Right. And then the little eye came off. Yeah. So he walked completely normally. It lasted until the next morning. 
And then he came in to see me the day after that. And we did it again. Same result. When it came back, it wasn't as bad. And he said, I've had it for two years. And it's been getting progressively worse. So maybe it's going to take some time. But he already took himself off gluten. And he said, I'm really bummed because it helped. But to be able to manipulate the nervous system like that, that's that's nuts. And I did 40 and 10 or 81 and 10 at this also because I just hooked him up neck to feet just in case. I don't think I did the viruses in the cord, but I might have to do that because it's part of that pathway. And again, it's always going one step backwards, forwards. It's going one step, some direction and figuring out, well, why did it get like this in the first place? Because it's one thing to just identify what's happening and where it's happening, right? What is happening and the tissue, pathology tissue. And we got lucky because the minute that he got the vaccine, yeah, the side of his face went numb. First, he had this bad, funny taste in his mouth. That would have been the polyethylene glycol. Right. And then his face went numb. And then over six months, yeah, the contractures happened. So that was a good clue. That right. was the starting point is the answer is always in the history. Yeah. And the left side of his face was still numb when we started. Wow. And at the end of the treatment, it was mostly better. And that held. So there was patchy numbness in this branch of the trigeminal nerve. This was normal. And then after the second treatment, they were both normal. Interesting you said, I found that historically numbness, when it improves in that first treatment, stays improved. I have all these magic markers that I draw on people all the time the washable ones that kids use. Um, I use it for landmarking. I'll use it for taping after. I just love showing patients like what's happening. So when it comes to numbness, like I'll circle it and then treat it for a little while and then do the pinwheel, do the sensory, do whatever. And oh, wow, it shrunk. Redo that circle so they can actually see it going down. But I've found, like I said, historically, once it goes down to a certain level, it's not like they come back two days later and it goes back to that. It's, it stays in that, yeah. in that area. Something we do between the frequencies and the current, something we do changes the nervous system or the nerve itself. Yeah. Permanently. Yeah. I know it, you're so tentative of saying that, but that's just what it does seem to. You can't throw out the data because it doesn't match your model. For good so or for bad. We have a couple questions. I don't want to okay. um, forget about them. First one says, friend has been recommended gallbladder removal surgery, allopathic diagnosis in December. A red flag is going up for me, recalling stories of domino effects from this sort of procedure. Is this something where FSM can help? In December. So you've got a couple of months to work on this. You can try. My family has a history of gallbladder disease and they used to sell bile salts. So my understanding of gallstones may or may not be correct, 
but it's a imbalance between bile salts and cholesterol and it makes stones so use the frequencies for gallstones that's in the core way back in the visceral part that i blow past because you're not going to remember it anyway you work on the gallstones the one thing to be careful of is if the gallbladder is infected or if it has parasites because what we do to relieve the pain is inflammation, congestion, then work on the gallstones. Okay. If you can get the gallstone to dissolve, and I can't remember, there's that thing they do with lemons and then oil and whatever. Let's not do that one because if the gallstones are big enough and you drink the last part of that procedure is drinking olive oil and you cause the gallbladder to have this big contraction there's that doesn't go well that moves the surgery up from december to tomorrow night and so you can treat it i had my gallbladder out it's no big deal if it's done right my guy did an open procedure instead of laparoscopic the laparoscopic ones can be problematic. There's less recovery because you only have these two little things. But I had a patient that had a five centimeter gallstone that filled the gallbladder. And the surgeon went in and took it out laparoscopically anyway and ripped the common bile duct and tore the fascia off the bottom of the liver. So that was a mess. Minimize fat. And look up what you do to dissolve gallstones. I just use digestive enzymes with bile salts in them. Do you know anything about that? No, I've only treated people who have had their gallbladder removed. And that was one of my case studies many years ago was dissolving the adhesions. And they were having the metal reaction to the clips. So... Lots you can do pro-surgical if that's the way that they go as well. So yeah, there's that. Notice that a friend has psoriatic arthritis and is taking the same medication that a GI has recommended for my son's Crohn's disease. Humira, which I believe is a TNF blocker, does FSM block TNF in the same way? We have data that says 40 and 10 reduces TNF alpha by a factor of 10 or 20 times. Humera, I can't remember if it's antibodies to TNF, but it's an immune suppressant. So that's how it's being used in Crohn's is to suppress the immune system. Psoriatic arthritis, the same way. In my world, if they weren't on Humera already, you'd turn on the vagus. In Crohn's disease, you check them for gluten-sensitive genes, HLA, DQB1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and treat the belly. And then try and avoid the Humera, but that ship sailed. The challenge that we have with all of the immune suppressants is the incidence 
is that you need TNF-alpha and interleukin-1, right? So when you read the package insert for Humira or any of the immune suppressants, the patients are more susceptible, air quotes, cancer and infection. I've treated a lot of transplant patients and patients who are on immune suppressants. And you can turn on the vagus, yes. You don't treat the immune system because it is not normal. It's like you just stay out of it. You can treat the gut. You can treat the skin. FSM is not a substitute for Humira. At least I am not comfortable saying that. In something simple like psoriatic arthritis and Crohn's, depending on how severe the Crohn's was, what started it? Was it a parasite? Was it food? Was it food poisoning? Where did it actually come from? You kind of have to go back in time. That's not like treating a transplant patient. They don't use Humira in transplant patients. Transplant patients are a different class of immune suppressants. That's... It really depends on the patient's willingness to read the package insert. The patient can come to you with a desire and say, I want to get off this drug. Can you help me? If they say that, you have a path forward. Mm. And the patient's driving the bus and you are just filling the tank and putting air in the tires. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's a complicated question. Let's read it out loud. Are you reading Carrie's? Yes. New client coming in with crunchy low back and neck. No fooling. Severe burns over 94% of the body when a teenager working on her neck and back. What can I run in the background besides the usuals? Okay, fine. Carrie, the thing is, when you say severe burns, I'm thinking full thickness burns over 94% of the body. So concussion in Vegas for sure. And central sensitization probably, but the body stiffness. So the burn patients we've treated, FSM has worked effectively for full thickness burns to increase range of motion have not successfully or did not successfully deal with the phantom limb pain from the nerves that were destroyed in the skin. Some of the body pain that's caused by the nerves, cutaneous nerves that were burned, that's like phantom limb pain in your skin. So I would try 40 and 89 instead of 40 and 10. And there's the kind of rigid tape, not the stretchy tape, not the kinesio tape, but the, they call it rock tape. No, rock tape is stretchy. Depending on you go the non-stretchy okay. tape. Yeah. Okay. That's what their skin is doing. And so the motion in the muscles, in the low back, the abdomen, the neck are completely inhibited. Working on the neck and the low back is like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Makes you feel better, but it's not going to change the outcome. So if that patient walked in, you can run 
in the background, neck pain, low back pain, unattended, and then start on the skin in the neck, skin in the abdomen, skin in the back. We actually used the 58s back when I did the study in 2003, but 13 and 77, 13 in the connective tissue, the basement membrane, 13 in the skin, 13 in the blood supply, scarring in the blood supply, and sclerosis in the adipose. So the subcutaneous fat gets crisp. And then for the body pain, try 40 and 89 and see if that works. Because back then I didn't know anything about phantom limb pain. So what you're going to be running in the background is... 40 and 89. 40 and 89 and neck pain and low back pain, those on custom cares. And then your manual work is all in the skin. And it's at least twice a week for six weeks. When you take it apart, it won't come back. That's the good news. But so we have data that says that. And ALF, I think, is talking about gallstones, orthophosic acid. Okay, what he said. If small stones. If the stones are small, if they're big, and you can use that in conjunction with FSM. And there's another comment he wrote at the bottom saying, you are correct that the gallbladder flush, it should cause stones to clog up into the duct and elicit emergency surgery. Thank you. Oh, yeah. It's like bad. It's bad. Um, Louise had a comment. It sounds like she was using the converter. Converter? the telephone line. So that kind of reminds me of what the converter looks like, but she's going to start using wet towels now, confused how to attach the large alligator clips on two towels. Bumblebee would be on one towel and your Christmas tree would be on the other. That's right. And the other thing, Louise, is just order a new set for the converter. Contact PDI and... They'll talk to Reset and see if they can get you a replacement set. You can't just order off of Amazon. It's not a phone connection. It's wider. It's like an Ethernet cable, I think. Right? Which one? Uh, for the It's not a phone jack. It's wider. Yeah, I think it is an Ethernet. Yeah, I think it's wider. No, they're not. The original ones were like phone connectors. The new blue ones are wider on the new units. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it depends on what your converter looks like. If it's a little black one, it is phone cords, but you should still go through PDI and they'll contact reset and see if they can get you replacement leads. That's not unusual. Okay. Okay. Oh, one more on the bottom. Patient with bilateral kidney transplant, old kidneys are still there, but disconnected from blood supply. Any treatments to avoid complains of joint pain and stiffness, has one knee replacement, easily fatigued, no other exotic symptoms or complaints. Okay. The other thing is find out what immune suppressants they're on. So it'll be cyclosporin or something that starts with a T and something starts with an M because I just had a kidney transplant patient. They do leave the old kidneys there. 
they're not disconnected from the blood supply. They're disconnected from the ureters. They don't just leave rotting kidneys in your body. Thank God. Frequencies to avoid is you just don't do anything to the immune system. Joint pain, stiffness, easily fatigued. I look up the side effects of the immune suppressants that they're on. My guy, his hands were cold. And the immune suppressant that he's on, cyclosporin, and it leads to a peripheral neuropathy that isn't pain. It was tingly, but it feels cold. The physical temperature, when you measured, you know, with the temperature gun, back of his arm, back of his hand was actually warmer. The tips of his fingers were five degrees colder. And cyclosporin reduces interleukin-1. And there's actually an article on how it is that it affects the small blood vessels, constricts them without doing it by affecting, so it doesn't affect the sympathetic nerves. But there's something about that drug that made his hands cold. I worked on him five days in a row. Helped his low back pain, helped his neck, did all that. But you don't get to vote. When you have a transplant patient, you don't treat the immune system. That's a given. (laughs) Best thing I did for him, he came in with his pain at an eight in his low back. Oh, my God. He said, here, let me show you. And he dropped his drawers and he's got shingles at S2. Lay down and then we'll talk. So we started treating him right away. And because he's on an immune suppressant, I had him call his doctor and get on acyclovir because he's on an immune suppressant. They are much more susceptible to infections. So we treated his low back and his neck and I treated the capillaries in his fingers. But honestly, I need to have an in-depth conversation with a pharmacist. So if there's any pharmacist listening, call me to find out how it is that reducing interleukin-1 causes vasoconstriction not mediated by the sympathetic nervous system in the fingers and toes. Yeah, it's very interesting. And I read the paper, and I'm pretty good at reading papers. Yeah. Complete Greek. Wow. I understood the words. Yeah. Individually, but the sentences? mm -mm. Nope. My alarm's going off. This is crazy. You are not here next week, or you are? Because you're already traveling. When do we leave? We are here next week. I think we leave on Thursday, so we will be here on the 11th. Yay. We leave on the 12th, and then we're gone. We arrive home at 1 o'clock in the afternoon on the 14th. My body will be here on the 15th. 
my brain will be someplace over the Pacific and I'll show up and do the best I can. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I will have all the nuggets for you anyways. You'll just have to follow my breadcrumbs. I know. We'll, we'll stay in touch. Yeah, of course. But you're here next week anyways. So we have some more questions and comments and stuff, but we'll pick that up next week. I, we had some emailed, so that was on my list. Um, oh, wait, there is. Yikes. Do you no. want to get one quickly or we can, I took a screenshot so we can save it for next week too. No. Oh, knee replacements. All right. We'll pick that up next week. Okay. Yeah. Let's do that one next week. It's one that we can actually dig into a little bit. Yeah. Okay, then. Perfect. We'll see you same time, same place next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye. The Frequency Specific Microcurrent Podcast has been produced by Frequency Specific Seminars for entertainment, educational, and information purposes only. The information and opinion provided in the podcast are not medical advice, do not create any type of doctor-patient relationship, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates, subsidiaries, or sponsors, or the hosts, or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations. No person should act or refrain from acting on the basis of the content provided in any podcast without first seeking appropriate medical advice and counseling. No information provided in any podcast should be used as a substitute for personalized medical advice and counseling. FSS expressly disclaims any and all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on or any contents of this podcast.